0: Now that the football season's over, it strikes me that we had a quarterback in Cleveland that led the entire league in interceptions. And yet he took the Twitter to attack Mary Kay Cabot in the media. Maybe he should focus on not throwing interceptions. It's today (laughs) in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer i'm chris quinn i'm here with lisa garvin Layla tassi and laura johnston with one loaded list of questions to address i hope you all had a good weekend laura you went skiing right
1: i did go skiing and it was beautiful (laughs) and sunny and the lines were insane and the parking lot i've never seen it so full in my entire life but i was outside and that was you know, a And
0: Lisa, you were like me—you were outside, but you were pushing around snow with a shovel. Oh shuttle, yeah, right? I'm
2: the I'm the sidewalk fairy in my neighborhood. I shovel the sidewalks in front of like five homes. So yeah, I was out there wow. doing my thing. Yeah,
0: and Layla, did you have a good weekend? I
3: had a terrible weekend. <laughs> I have a house full of sick children this today. Oh. Oh. Yeah, but we, you know, COVID? well, we got COVID tested and it was negative. And I'm, you know, I feel like I would trust a positive test, but not a negative one. So I don't know what to believe Although, anymore.
0: There is a really bad cold out there. I mean, there are a lot of people that are convinced they have COVID, but I actually think the cold is worse than COVID if you've had a booster shot. I'm sorry to hear it. Thank you. Well, let's get down to it. We have been talking for months on this podcast about a move in the Ohio legislature to stick it to millions of Ohio homeowners to benefit wealthy commercial property owners. We've been wondering who was in the background persuading legislators to do something that's clearly not in the interest of their constituents. Now we know, courtesy of reporter Laura Hancock, who's driving the abuse of the residential taxpayer, Layla.
3: It's Wealthy developers and large commercial property owners and, and others who represent their interests. They've been trying to do something like this for years, and it appears 2021 was their big moment. Laura Hancock reported that the key group behind House Bill 126 is called the Coalition for Fair Property Tax Valuations. And among the key players there is, you know, the Downtown Cleveland Alliance and Doug Price of Northeast Ohio developer K&D Group. The bill just passed the Ohio Senate in mid-December, and it's headed back to the House to vote on whether to adopt the changes that have been made along the way. But if it becomes law, it would require boards of education to pre-approve their attorneys' fights against property owners who want their valuations lowered. Uh, it would prohibit districts from challenging Board of Revision decisions to the Ohio Board of Tax Appeals. And it would forbid school districts from entering private settlements with private property owners. The coalition that's that's fighting for this says that districts challenges to property values create an unstable tax environment that stands in the way of economic development and that District attorneys are really aggressive because they bill by the hour. They say that they're constantly under attack from districts that
0: pursue bogus, these really ridiculous... Bogus, bogus, <laughs> bogus, These guys are so full of it. They're just trying to abolish their tax bills. It's just not... Nothing they say uh, is true. Right, right. I couldn't believe. Some guy cranes actually... Uh- Tweeted over the weekend, respecting the story, but saying there's two sides to this. There's not two sides to this. These guys are trying to stop paying their fair share of taxes. It's hilarious that the word "fair" is in the title. Right. I, I mean, it's it. This is unconscionable what they're about to do. They're going to let the, the the school district is the is the checks and balance against abuse. A, a commercial property owner goes into a board of revision and dazzles them with all sorts of stuff that looks official. And the school board is the voice of reality saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, here's some comparables. Let's make sure we assess this fairly. The se- but the thing is, Laura had a second story that makes it even it makes it even harder now for boards of revision to get it right because all of these businesses are selling their property, mm. disguising the sales from the assessors. Instead of selling the property, they're selling a company that owns the property. And so you don't get the value of the actual transfer anymore. So more than ever, we need the school boards to go in and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're giving you a load of BS here. They're, They're telling you it's not worth much. They disguise what it's worth. Here's what we found of the comparables. They need to pay their fair share. The legislature is shameless here. This is just like HB6 this is one where a bunch of private interests are in the heads i hope it's just the heads of the legislators getting them to do something that will cost uncountable numbers of homeowners more money on their taxes
3: i I agree i know that the the consequence is more local levies and increased millage for the rest of us to offset lost commercial revenue Laura did such a great job with this i mean this is just really good journalism here
0: yeah, and if you read what the guys are saying, the the people pushing for this, you can see that it's all just not true. Bunch of horse hockey. I mean, they say this isn't about us not trying to we're not anti-school taxes. It's like, yes you are. That's what this is all about. You're trying not to pay your fair share of taxes and playing the Orwellian game of putting fair into the title of your group. <laughs> Great stuff. Check out the two stories on cleveland.com both by Laura Hancock. Really good stuff. Watchdog journalism. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Court cases about cities collecting wage taxes from people who worked from home during the pandemic continue to drag on. But courtesy of the Ohio legislature, a lot of people have a recourse to get back the money they paid in 2021. It's complicated, as reporters Courtney Astolfi and Sean McDonnell reported. Laura, why is it so hard?
1: Because no one really knows what they're supposed to do next. And because no, ma- we've never had such a time in history that so many people are working remotely and companies are still trying to figure out how to fix their systems to comply with the law and make sure their employees are not paying taxes they don't have to. The Ohio Society of CPAs actually sent tax accountants as a 25-page document with 56 Q&As on how to deal with withholdings. And that's going forward for 2022. We will talk about that. But first, workers can think about what to do now for their taxes taken out of their paycheck in 2021. So when people started working from home uh, in large numbers during the pandemic in 2020, this temporary rule said they could companies could withhold the income taxes the way they normally did. Now that the legislature's made this refund available, you can get the money back that you paid to a city you didn't step foot in. In Cleveland, that's 2.5%. But all cities have different income tax rates, and they all give different credits for their taxes paid elsewhere. So what you will get back is going to vary depending on where you work and where you live and what the credit is. And you have to fill out a form. It's not as simple as like checking a box or something like that. Even though CCA did not get back to Courtney Astolfi to basically explain how this works, you are going to have to provide some kind of proof from your employer, and there might be other forms uh, and, and documents you have to present. Actually,
0: it's more of a headache than that. I, I After reading the story, I went and looked just to see how complicated it would be. First, the central collection agency makes it very hard to find the form, mm-hmm. but it's there. But not only do you have to get your employer to certify how many days you didn't work in the office, which is not that complicated. You got to file a tax return with the municipality where you did work. Yes. Well, if you think about the places that have a match, right now they're going to file a return that shows they paid money to Cleveland because they haven't gotten it back yet. Right. So, wh- what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to pay extra to their local city now and then wait to get the money back from Cleveland? It's it's we, I I couldn't see it. I mean, it's too early because we don't have W twos and right. things yet. But yeah. I i looked at it i'm not dumb and i'm like boy i'm not sure what what to do and i you know cleveland they'll look for ways to reject this going i mean to frank jackson good.
1: made it very clear he didn't want to give any of this money back and he believes that he's D- that they were deserving of it. And I don't think we've Which heard is Justin, preposterous.
0: Right? right. Because I didn't work in Cleveland today last year. So why should I have to pay money to Cleveland? Right.
1: right. We didn't use the services. And I, Justin Bibb, as far as I know, has not said anything publicly about this issue. But you're right. The, the tax accountants are basically saying as soon as you get your W-2 form, fill out the refund try to get your money back first so that then you can go pay your other city before April when all of your taxes. Yeah. Are
0: but i the forum says you've got to provide the tax return to the other city before you can get your refund. There's still confusion here. They're going to make this as complicated as There's possible.
1: So much confusion right? and
0: shame on them for doing that. It's not right that they're going to make people jump through these hoops. We'll be writing more about this because it's very confusing It's today in Ohio. Northeast Ohioans have been frightened in recent months by random carjackings that have taken place, including one that killed an off-duty Cleveland police officer. The carjackers never benefit very much from this dangerous crime, so we asked reporter Adam Faris to find out why they're doing it. Lisa, what did we learn?
2: Well, it seems to be a confluence of factors. Uh, uh, Adam did talk to a former criminal justice professor, Scott Decker, who's an author. You know, he was a former professor at Arizona State, and he said that you know, a lot of it has to do with teens being, you know, at 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 odds. I mean, they're you know, their their schools have been shut down sometimes. You know, they're going. You know, they're extracurricular activities aren't happening, recreation centers are closed, and so they have more free time. And he said that teens really aren't deliberative people. They don't really think about what they do. So these pandemic-related stresses have given them more free time to get into trouble. And and the thing about carjackings is, yeah, there's not a whole lot to gain. Unless you're selling these cars for parts or for overseas markets, You're not gaining a thing by stealing, carjacking a car. We had 433 carjackings last year. That's up 22% from 2020 and up 52% from 2019 before the pandemic. And it is mostly juveniles committing these crimes. The main reasons they do it is they, A, want a joyride. B, they need a ride to somewhere and there's a crime of opportunity right there. They need this car to commit another crime. And then, of course, there's the bragging rights on social media and and their, their street credibility. Most of these cars that are carjacked are found abandoned or wrecked, often within hours of the incident. So it's kind of a very irrational crime. But, you know, we've been talking about juveniles, you know, being, you know, having a lot of free time on their hands and time to get into trouble. County Prosecutor Mike O'Malley has been sounding the alarm about juveniles for quite a while now. He says there's a lot of leniency in juvenile court on people with priors, like 18-year-old Tamara McLeod, who is now charged with the murder of uh, Shane Bartek. And uh, there are lighter sentences for armed robberies. And so, yeah, th- there's quite a few factors playing into this.
0: I I just I still don't get it though. I mean, you're you're talking about oh they need a ride somewhere they want a joyride, and they're committing one of the most dangerous violent crimes you can commit. You're pointing a gun at somebody to rob them. I mean that that takes it to the to the very serious levels of felonies for a ride. I mean it's just mind boggling. Well, and in some cases, actually
3: shooting them. Right.
0: Right. 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 I, I, I'm, I'm kind of astounded that there's the rash of this because it's such a risky thing to do. I mean, look, you know, the, the, the woman that that's accused of killing Shane Bartek will never walk free when she's convicted. If she's convicted, you know the 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 carjackers that shot the Case Western Reserve student who tried to grab her keys back. When they get arrested, they'll be given up years of their life for for what? You know, it's not like you're getting rich, Lisa. You mentioned that if they can sell them for parts or sell them overseas. But the story pointed out that's that's an organization, right? Well beyond that's, or, that's organized
2: crime. Absolutely. You know, and also Mike O'Malley. And we had some articles recently about, um, you know, because we've had upticks in juvenile crime all across the area and not just in Ohio. I mean, carjackings are up all over the place. But, you know, he's also saying there are a lot more guns in the hands of juveniles now. So, you know, he, he's been sounding the alarm about, about that as well, as have local police chiefs.
0: I did get a couple notes from people saying this is the result of justice reform. And I just want to point out justice reform and bail reform was never about dangerous felony behavior. It was about people arrested for largely minor offenses, having bail set, holding them in jail, losing their kids, losing their jobs when there was no need for that. Of course, when people commit crimes with guns, they're supposed to be treated much more harshly. Frankly, the justice, the criminal justice officials have been telling us for ten years that they have focused squarely on gun crimes, and so you're wondering if you've been focused so squarely on gun crimes, why are these people getting probation when they commit one? It doesn't seem like they've lived up to what they say.
3: Can I throw in a, just a, a thought that has occurred to me as I've been reading these stories? I wonder if you know at a time when Cleveland is is seeing such extreme poverty, if if these violent carjackings aren't a form of lashing out against the privileged. Do you does that mm-hmm. does that ring true for anyone? I mean, doesn't it seem that like taking someone's car at gunpoint is is taking away an asset that is sort of you know a symbol of mm-hmm. of you know um, wealth or something like that? And to lash out so violently just strikes me as it, there there must be a psychological underpinning that's deeper than they want a joyride. You know, and yeah, when you maybe. look at the neighborhoods where it's happening, you know the the the, the targets of these crimes. I, I just feel like there must be something deeper than that.
0: Maybe, but I do. I, when you look at these individually, you do see a progression. That that most of these folks should have been stopped. That some point a judge should have locked them up. They're a danger to the community, and they didn't. So you you might be right. That might be the motive. Oh, I, yeah, my I don't, don't disagree is... with
3: that with that at all. I agree with you. Yes, for sure. But but as far as you know, motivation in the for these particular crimes, that that just strikes me as as a, a potential motivation.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What did Justin Bibb do in his first week as Cleveland mayor? And what were the highlights Saturday of his inaugural address? Layla, he had a kind of a muted ceremony because of COVID. It was largely streamed, but Courtney Stoffe was there. Yeah. What does she tell us? You
3: know, he gave a. it seemed he gave a pretty inspiring inaugural address Saturday afternoon. He told his constituents that he and they walk into the city's highest office together. He said, we can be the Cleveland that young people move back to because there are good jobs, safe streets, good schools, quality grocery stores, good health care. We don't have to dream about the, that Cleveland. We can and w- will work toward that goal every minute of every day. He promised to aim for safer streets. And he said that the city has to give police officers raises and better technology while also holding them accountable and giving residents a voice in how policing is done. He he, he was sworn in by by Ohio Supreme Court's first Black woman, Justice Melody Stewart. There were comments from other dignitaries. U.S. Representative Chantel Brown spoke and said, you know, Bib follows in the footsteps of other great Cleveland public servants like Lewis and Carl Stokes and Stephanie Tubbs Jones and Frank Jackson and others who put the people of Cleveland first, in her words. So it sounded like they still achieved the pomp and circumstance that the the event calls for, even though it was very small crowd. <laughs> not it was interesting, that,
0: expected. <laughs> But it was interesting that when she mentioned the people in whose footsteps he follows, she did not mention Mike White, no, the that's longtime Cleveland mayor who worked. Uh, he came out of. Kind of isolation after twenty years and campaigned and was a serious force, and and clearly Mike White was one of the people that paved the way for Justin Bibb. I agree. It was a it was an uplifting speech. He said, said it wasn't just he touched the points he had to touch. He touched them with some some poetry and some inspiring words. So what did he do all the last week?
3: <laughs> it's a great question. He I mean one big decision was to keep Carrie Her- Howard as the safety director. He he oversees police, fire, and EMS. He's been a disciplinarian at the helm during the Jackson administration. So this this was a solid choice. He also met with officers in the 5th District and with County Prosecutor Mike O'Malley to discuss strategies to address the the ongoing surge in violence, which we were just talking about. Uh, he said this this week he could announce policy related to youth gun violence in and, and the city's use of the diversion center he said among his top goals this year will be to push for a boost in pay for police, which he addressed in his inaugural speech, and to invest some federal stimulus dollars in violence interrupters, which I love that idea. He also will assemble a children's cabinet, which he spoke about this, you know, during the campaign. This would focus on policy related to improving opportunities for, for youth. On other matters, you know, Bib named Lillian Curie of the Cleveland Foundation as chair of the planning commission. Uh, next week, um, he plans, or maybe this week, it plans to announce key top-level hires in, in finance, planning, operations. A, a chief of integrated development will be named. He also wants to implement new pandemic policies for City Hall employees. And and this week, he'll begin the meeting with the newly launched COVID-19 task force, which will be, you know, made up of city, county, health, and community leaders. And, and um, you know, he's also going to start this listening tour. Uh a hundred days spent out in the community, he's going to try to meet with frontline workers in every city department to try to determine what's working, what's not working.
0: Wasn't the listening tour of the campaign? I mean, isn't that what you do during <laughs> <Yeah>. the campaign? <laughs> I mean, what do you really need to listen to? Get some work done. You know, I, he's he, one of his big points in the campaign was uh, after school care, that he recognized that after school a lot of cleveland kids are out on the street it's dangerous out there for right. all the reasons we've talked about he wanted to he even used the words i think universal after school care that that's a tall order it's not something you do overnight uh, it'll be interesting if that rises to the top of his agenda because it it could make a huge difference we've talked before about how parents dread phone calls between three and six o'clock during the school year because that's when their kids are at most danger.
3: You know, I know also that the the director of the Boys and Girls Club uh, is is involved in, in his transitioning. And I think that a partnership between the city and the Boys and Girls Club to kind of, if not expand Boys and Girls Club programming, but to at least duplicate the kinds of things that they do would be would be wonderful for the city to to kind of replicate that program citywide could get closer to achieving that universal after school programming that keeps kids safe and uh, focused um, like like he plans to
0: today begins week two of the bib administration maybe we'll hear something about that you're listening to today in ohio when Cuyahoga County judges opted to postpone jury trials again because of the surge of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus, we got to wondering what the long-term effect was of the months without jury trials earlier in the pandemic. Laura, what did reporter John Caniglia find?
1: Yeah, this has been bad for for folks in the justice system and defendants who are waiting a long time we haven't heard a ton about it but these delays are causing hardships so that since early 2020 judges have ordered trials pushed back three times and we're in our latest third third here right now judges are putting hold trials on hold until february 4th for common pleas and february 11th for federal trials this means the population in the cuyoga county jail has jumped grand juries are continuing to indict suspects and civil cases that usually go before judges and juries have slowed to a trickle since they're prioritizing criminal cases with the defendants in jail which makes a lot of sense but people are waiting years for cases to be resolved and um, it, it, I mean, it's difficult to hold trials with so many COVID cases. The main concerns are obviously the health of, of jurors and people in the courtroom, and as well as the difficulty of defense lawyers in preparing for trials because they're struggling to see their clients because of limited in-person meetings at the county jail and a lack of confidential remote system, se- sessions, and many inmates have been quarantined.
0: Yeah, I. this was not what I expected when we asked right. John to look at it because we'd heard nothing really about the problems. And we started to think maybe there aren't any problems, but whoa, we were way off. There are big problems from this. So hopefully the Omicron variant surge will abate quickly and they'll be able to get back to clearing the caseload. It's another good story you found can, nowhere else but cleveland.com and the plain dealer lots of good stuff over the past can few i days. add one
1: thing in here obviously we talk a lot about the jail population and how much it's grown it's up to about 1600 at this point so the defense attorneys are saying look we understand that you can't have trials right now but can we do some things to get some of these folks out of the jail while they're awaiting trial to use something like at-home monitoring or um you know a lower bond because it's not fair to these folks.
0: It it depends though if they use guns in their mm-hmm. accused crimes, nobody's going to want them back on the street for the reasons we discussed earlier. I
1: Absolutely. I
0: believe that a lot of the people in the jail right now are accused of some pretty serious crimes. It's just the backlog of them. You're listening to today in Ohio. When Ohio's unemployment system crumbles in the wave of claims during the beginning of the pandemic and Lieutenant Governor John Houston, despite repeated promises, just could not fix it, the state hired a bunch of private firms to help. How much did all of that cost us, Lisa?
2: It cost a heck of a lot of money. Um, th- there were 1,600 call center agents that were hired. And this is just Deloitte. So Deloitte had a contract with the state of Ohio for 1,600 call center agents that were making $59 an hour. Um, There was a $9.6 million initial contract, but it's been renewed several times for a total of over $200 million. And then another six companies got $107 million to handle jobless benefit claims at call centers. Now, the Deloitte contract was paid for with federal money. Other companies, it's not clear. We talked to the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services spokesman, Bill Teets, and he said, well, you know, we didn't really need all the services and workers, so we didn't pay out the maximum value of these contracts, but he didn't have any exact figures on what exactly they did pay to all these contractors. They still have 450 contractors working, some of them part-time, and they hope to end all of these contracts by spring. But I think the eye-popping thing to me was that, you know, a lot of these uh, contractors are making some big bucks. I mean, some were making $250 an hour from Deloitte. Insight Global, they were making $25.70 an hour. Direct Interactions, another contractor, about $26, $27 an hour. But an ODJFS employee at the call center was only making $19.72 an hour, although they did get benefits. So yeah. And I do want to point out that Deloitte is also helping other states. They're helping Illinois, New York, California, and Colorado with their backlog of job claims. But yeah, that's an awful lot of money to cough up to contractors.
0: Look, I get it. The Nobody saw this overwhelming slam of claims as the pandemic began and lots of people got laid off. But what it did point out was there'd been no investment for years in the systems that serve unemployment. And because of that lack of investment, the system was an abject failure. I mean, we all remember how many times did John Houston take center stage during Wine with the Wine and promise to get this thing fixed? And then a week later, it's still a disaster. I mean, I, I, we haven't we, rarely if have we heard from so many anguished people as we did about their inability to get answers from the state on this. Uh, it's, it's not surprising. It cost us a bundle to pay to get it working. You're listening to Today in Ohio. During our holiday podcast break, a big parking garage collapsed in Lakewood and we never got to talk about it. But now the city has charged the building owner with a crime involving the collapse. Layla, what does the city allege?
3: Well, so no one was hurt in this in this underground garage collapse which happened on December 23rd at Marine's Towers West Apartments on Edgewater Drive, but the city has brought misdemeanor charges against the building owner Marine Towers LLC and property manager Burton Carroll Management and contractor Atlas Masonry and Restoration. For failing to secure a permit before they started repairs on the structure, it, it's unclear if they were actively working on the garage when the collapse happened. But residents had to be evacuated from the from the building while it was inspected for in structural for structural stability. Just pretty terrifying event. By some miracle, no one was in the garage at the time. But you know, the Lakewood Mayor Megan George said this is the first step in holding those accountable, responsible. So it sounds like. There could be more to come on this story. Uh, I don't know. That's all we know so far. Uh, you know,
0: the, the thing that it does raise for me, and it's this comes partly from what happened in Miami with the much more devastating building collapse, mm-hmm. is whether building departments are doing the work to inspect buildings like this to make sure they're safe. I mean, you you would hope that any place where there's lots of people that the building departments would be doing inspections to make sure that that the rot and things isn't isn't imperiling people. Uh, clearly, this one was in danger. It collapsed, and yet no one seemed to know that it was in danger.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, what does the law require? I I, I you know I don't know how often are are they supposed to be inspecting structures like that, uh, are they supposed to be? I I don't know. I don't Uh, know the answer to that.
0: I mean, we have elevator inspections every year, too. (laughs) We would would look at (laughs) structural supports of tall buildings. Uh, We'll have to see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Yet again, Cuyahoga County has a problem with property tax bills. It's ridiculous. It's a basic service to county government. You'd think you'd get this right. They're late again. But why did it take us at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer asking questions about the delay to get an announcement from the county about the latest screw up? Shouldn't the county have announced this problem as soon as the leaders learned of it? Laura, what goes on here?
1: Well, you would think that they would announce this, but we're talking about the county. And I feel like every six months we write that the (laughs) property tax bills are delayed. I'm probably overstating this, but it happens a lot. And we did not find out. Excuse me. until someone emailed us and said, hey, what's going on? So reporter Caitlin Durbin contacted the county. It took them eight hours to get back to her and basically put out a statement that said, yes, the deadline to pay was originally on January 27th, but they just sent started sending out the bills on Thursday. So the county's extending the due date through February 10th. And they, they're blaming a vendor, said they had a new vendor and there was a glitch in the system that hindered the printing process, which you know, I don't know. But yeah,
0: glitch, glitch. Every day there's a glitch. Look, I get it. Th- things break down. Although, you know, property tax bills are like the basic thing county does. You would think that's one thing you would get right. We you know, this didn't happen before we changed the government. I Just want to say that when we elected a county treasurer, they actually got the bills out in time. So, okay, all right, well, a lot of other things (laughs) happened.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say the bills probably weren't right. uh, I don't know, you had a lower bill,
0: but but okay, but 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 granting that okay, they hired a new contractor, whatever happened to stop it, they should tell everybody, but they you know, I know why they didn't. They screw up every other day, we talk about it every other day. They're hoping no one will notice, but they should have come right. Out a whole lot of people try to pay that bill before the end of the previous calendar year for budgeting reasons. It used to be for tax deduction reasons, although that doesn't really apply anymore. But they used to that—that's what people want to do. So they weren't able to do that. They were deprived of that ability unless they were looking for the bill online or something. Why not come out and tell people as soon as this happens? Hey, folks. We know that some of you like to pay your bills by December 31st. We're not going to get the paper bill to you. Here's the website to go to. You can still pay on time. I mean, we had to chase them down. And like you said, they didn't have an immediate answer. It took an entire day for them to say, oops, we screwed up again.
1: Yeah, I I don't have an answer for you. You would think that at this point... Public officials, and we've talked about this more than once on the podcast, like if you you mess up, just tell us what happened because we're going to figure it out eventually. And multiple days of stories where you look bad is worse than one day of story where you're coming clean. But you're right. I mean, there's a a multitude of ways that people can pay. They can pay online. They can put their payment in the mail. uh, They can pay in person at county headquarters. They can pay at any key bank branch in Cuyahoga County, which I did not know. But you're right. They need to know how much they need to pay.
0: (laughs) And what we don't know yet, because people don't have the bills yet, is if they're right, we may have another story in which all the calculations are wrong. Remember the one year, like a year or two ago, where all the Cleveland Heights bills were wrong because they forgot some taxing district? I don't know. It's uh, It amazes me. It's like, this is one of the Jobs that they're supposed to have down. They've been doing it for a century. You would think that it wouldn't be that difficult. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that is it for a packed Monday. We didn't get to everything. We'll be talking about Jim Jordan tomorrow. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. And thank you for listening to this podcast.